Welcome to the Time Has Come podcast. My name is Graham Wardle, and today we have Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor on the show. Jill is an incredible woman with a message for the world that I can't wait to share with you all. Now, not only is she a Harvard-trained and published neuroanatomist, she is also a New York Times bestselling author and was included in Time Magazine's Top 100 Most Influential People in the World in 2008. In this episode, we dive into Dr. Taylor's fascinating new book called Whole Brain Living and how understanding our brain's functions can be a vital framework for navigating life's challenges. So the time has come to welcome Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor to the podcast. Jill, how are you doing today? I am so good and I'm so happy to chat with you, Graham. (laughs) Awesome, Jill. I'm so excited for this. This is so cool. You were just sharing with me before we went live here that you've watched Heartland before and you've been a fan of the show. So that's so cool. Absolutely. I watched I, I watched the entire, what, nine seasons all last summer. <laughs> I loved it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. I have so many questions. I know you have a brand new book coming out called Whole Brain Living. So I want to talk with you about that and dive into it because it's so fascinating. It's so interesting. But to give people a little bit of background, a little history, you gave a TED Talk back in 2008 that I saw and it completely changed my life. And it was you detailing a a medical emergency that you had back in 1996. So can you share with people just just what happened and then the insight that came from that? Absolutely. So I grew up to study the brain because I have a brother diagnosed with schizophrenia. And he was only 18 months older than I. So everywhere we went, we went together. And I started tuning into the understanding that we would have these experiences and we would describe them completely different. So I knew that we were not we were not exactly the same, even though he was my brother and the closest thing biologically that, you know, is to me in the universe. So I grew up to study the brain and I was teaching and performing research at Harvard Medical School when one day I woke up with a pounding pain behind my left eye. And over the course of four hours, I was experiencing a major hemorrhage that exploded in the left half of my brain. And over four hours, I could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of my life. So it was profound through the eyes of a brain scientist because as a neuroanatomist, I think about the anatomy of the brain. I think about it at a cellular level. So when I'm teaching head and neck to medical students or dental students, I'm actually visualizing, well, for me to hear in from it's this group of cells communicating with this group of cells. And that's how I picture, I map the cellular structure of the brain. So on the morning of the stroke, I did the exact same thing, watching my own brain deconstruct in its ability to process information through that left hemisphere. But even though my left hemisphere went offline, eventually I became unconscious. And when I awoke later that afternoon, I still had a right hemisphere that was completely functional, but it was not inhibited at all by the normally dominant cells of the left hemisphere. So I ended up with a complete shift in, in my perception of reality and my relationship to myself, my body in relationship to the external world. And it took eight years to recover that left brain. And then I, I gave a TED talk and, and wrote my memoir, My Stroke of Insight, a brain scientist personal journey. And in 2008, after that TED talk went viral, my whole life changed. 
Yeah, and you said I think it was over 20 million views that that TED Talk has occurred. Yeah, we're close to 30 million now. 30 million views, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's just been amazing. You explained an experience in that TED Talk that really touched my life, and it opened me up because you had some sort of a, a mystical experience where you left your body. Could you just share a little bit about that, what that was like? Absolutely. When, you know, the left brain is this machine that has a group of cells in the parietal region that defines the boundaries of where we begin and where where we end. And it is those cells in the left brain that then define me through a holographic image in my own mind about where I begin and where I end. So I know that my face is my face. And I know that these glasses that I wear are not of me. Mm -hmm. They're on me because of those cells. So when I lost the left hemisphere, I lost all the skill sets of that left hemisphere. And one of them was that holographic image defining the boundaries of where I begin and where I end. To the consciousness of the right hemisphere, there is no boundary. So I am a living entity. I am a a collection of energy and organic matter as a, a form of life. And in the absence of that definition and holographic image, I am literally blended with the energy and atoms and molecules of the universe. So I'm no longer in this body single and separate from you. I am expansive and open and vast and and completely as big as the universe because ultimately that's what we are. And then we have this left hemisphere that lays down, no, I'm going to differentiate between me and the external world so that I can function as an individual because otherwise we're all just a bunch of, you know, amorphic energy balls bouncing off of each other. Yes. Oh, so this is okay. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And this is what I wanted to share with you was it was probably about a year or two after I had seen your TED talk and I'd heard you explain this and your experience that I went into uh, a sensory deprivation tank. I'm not sure if you've, if you've heard of those before. Yes. So I quieted that left part of my brain relaxed myself mm-hmm. so deeply that I popped out and I joined that cosmic love soup that we're all connected to that is around us all the time. And it was the most yes. beautiful experience that I have ever felt. And upon doing some research for this interview, I reflected on that TED talk and I went, this is exactly what Jill was talking about. And I had forgotten, I hadn't connected the two. So I just I wanted to share that with you because it was my own little experience without the <laughs> without the brain uh, hemorrhage without the stroke, <laughs> without the stroke that exactly happened. and that's the beauty of the sensory deprivation and float tanks is that you go in it's dark inside so you're cutting off all this stimulation that the brain is usually being in, in bombarded with the sound is become silent you shift into an experience of the present moment. Mm -hmm. The right hemisphere is a present moment machine. It's processing everything in real time. So emotions of the present moment, thoughts of the present moment, and then the left hemisphere is this machine from the past. So as soon as you're in a, a sensory deprivation state, if you can quiet that left hemisphere, which takes you somewhere other than the present moment, then 
that you have this oneness with all that is. And it's a beautiful, magnificent experience. And isn't it fortunate that you had that in a safe environment so that you actually know that you're biologically programmed to attain that level of experience again? Well, this is what I am so excited to share with people about your new book is that I had always seen that state as something that I was lucky and it was it can never come back to that. And every time I've jumped into a float tank, I've always tried to get back there, but that left part of my brain is so noisy and it's always thinking like, how do I do this? And it's about relaxing exactly. that, that uh, allows me to, to transcend and move beyond. But And on top of that, Graham, you have a preconceived intention now set by your left hemisphere. (laughs) I want to get in there. So, so it's just really, you know, and, and that's the thing about that left brain is it is desperate to hold on to its boundaries because its boundaries is my ego and my ego centers all the information coming in around the universe as a part of me. And now I want to have that experience again. So I need to quiet my mind. So quiet my quiet mind. Of course, it starts talking more. And and then emotionally, it's like, well, now I'm not happy because I'm not achieving it. Yes. And so, you know, <laughs> you know, you, you, you kind of are working against yourself the hard way. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what uh, I was so, uh, I was moved to tears a few times actually reading your book because of the insights that you shared with people in Whole Brain Living and understanding the four different characters of the brain. And once I started to dive into this, I was like, this is wonderful. Understanding the distinction between each four parts, how they each function, it was it was awesome. So can we dive into a little bit of the four characters of the brain in your new book, Whole Brain Living? Perfect. Thank you so much. So when you think about that left hemisphere, again, the left hemisphere is information is streaming in through our sensory systems, both hemispheres simultaneously. Both hemispheres are always functioning, but they're inhibiting one another in very specific detail. So different pieces are being dominant at any moment in time. So uh, so first, let's say that. And let's also say that we've heard that we only use 10% of the cells inside of our brain. And that's not true either. Neurons are little social creatures who are hooked up in a beautiful network, and they thrive when they're stimulated and being stimulated by. So if it's alive and it's in your head, you're using it. So now you have this whole, yeah, hopefully. So now you have this whole brain going on. And we were taught that the right brain is our emotional brain and our left brain is our thinking rational brain. And that's not true at all. What's true is that we have cells of the limbic system, which make up the emotional cells in evenly divided between the two hemispheres, which means I have left emotion and left thinking cells, and I have right emotion and right thinking cells. And the thing about the both of the emotional cells is that they are in position ready to save our life as soon as we're born. So this is our fight, flight, or uh, play dead. And what's really interesting is that the right hemisphere brings in information about the present moment and processes it in the present moment experience. But the left hemisphere, those emotional cells bring information about the present moment and immediately shift it into 
anything in our past that we've ever experienced. So the information in the left emotional system is looking at our past to see is, does this remind me of any threat I've ever had before that I need to push away and say no to? As soon as that emotional group of cells does that, it separates itself from the present moment reality. So automatically we end up with two separate levels of consciousness, one that is in the emotion of the present moment in the right brain, and one that now is going to have a past, a present, and a future, a linearity of time in that left hemisphere. So all of our emotions from the past are going to be located in the left emotional tissue. And then over time, because we share our emotional tissue with other mammals, but for the human, we grow thinking tissue on top and the thinking tissue then refines the emotion below. Mm. So in the left hemisphere, left thinking refines left emotion. And in the right hemisphere, right thinking refines right emotion. Okay, so now we end up with these two emotional modules of cells that are very unique. They process information in a very specific way, and they have skill sets and personalities that are really predictable. And then we have these two thinking modules of cells that are also very unique in their their skill sets, and they also end up with personalities. So the four characters that I talk about in the book are the left thinking. And this is the part of us that goes to work. It's our A-type personality. It's busy. It's got a to-do list. Again, it defines the boundaries of where I begin and where I end. So I know what I am. I am an individual. I process all information around me, the I. I have language, so I communicate with language. It organizes and categorizes. It likes to control people, places, and things, and everything. It's punctual. It's amazing, right? We all have to have a healthy left thinking character one. And I encourage us as we go through this whole process, Graham, to name each of your four characters because it's an identity inside of us. And if we really want to be able to have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be in the world, we have to know what are we talking about. And these are our four individual characters. So you read the book, you said. Can you tell me, did you name your character one? I did. <laughs> so my character one. What did one, you name it? So this is a name that somebody else gave me, but I, it fit. So my character one is called Go Go Gadget Graham because I'm all about technology and having everything sorted. And uh, yeah, that's my control mechanism, right? That's my sort of A type is having all my gadgets and them all synced up and working and ready to go. Exactly. And it does work, you know, and when it's not, you just bring that. Da, 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 da. Yeah. So absolutely. So that's a great character one. I call my character one Helen. She's hell on wheels. She gets it done. Nice. She's busy, right? <laughs> She's busy. So, so I encourage people to name that part of ourselves because it's a fantastic part that we need in order to be effective and efficient in the, in the world. So that's left thinking, character one. Left emotion, 
is character number two. And so this is going to be all of the emotion from our past. So it's going to be all of our pain from the past. And if I feel resentment or I feel guilt or I feel shame or I feel not worthy, then these are things that have happened because of something in the past that has allowed me to shape this character. So I call my little, and it's a little unhappy self because it is the center for our happiness. But our little character too bases its level of happiness on the external circumstances and how they align with what I want it to be. Mm. So if I have a preconceived notion of something, then then if it matches that, then I'm happy. You know, the bridezilla, you know, the perfect wedding. <laughs> it all has to be just right or I'm going to move into my character too and I'm not going to be very happy. So I call my little character to Abby, which is short for abandoned. Because I believe that when we're in the womb, we start out as this beautiful, tiny, little single cell, half the DNA from mom, half the DNA from dad. The DNA multiplies and the cell repackages it. DNA divides, we repackage it. And this is going to happen at a rate of 250,000 cells per second, not minute, but per second. Phenomenal. So we we know, that's all we know is this symbiotic relationship of the womb. We hear the heartbeat of our mother. We eventually hear muffled sounds and, and the lights. We are not bombarding us. And as soon as we're born, what do we do? <gasps> we gasp air, right? We're breathing water in the womb and now we're going to gasp air. The shock to our system, the lights are pounding at us. The sounds are bombarding us. We're being poked and prodded. It's cold out, you know, whatever's going on. To me, that is the, uh, that is the original abandonment that we would feel from during this life experience. So I call mine Abby short for abandon. And mm. that's my little unhappy part of myself. How about yourself? <laughs> Did you name your little unhappy part? Yeah. So I, I refer to him as a teddy bear or like fuzzy teddy because he needs a hug. That was my, exactly. that was my thought. And it was my little sister who gave me that. She called me fuzzy teddy bear when I was a kid. And so I was like, Hey, that's a good I name. I love that. <laughs> And now she's, now she's playing in now your she's beard. Play, yeah, now she's scratching my chin, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So we all have that part of ourself, and we know when we're not happy. We know when, and this, this part of us is designed to save our life. So it's really important that we have this because it brings information in and says, give me a reason, any reason at all to push away. What is not familiar, I don't like because familiar feels safe. So if you look different from me. You pray different from me. You wear different kinds of clothes from me. Your skin is a different color from me, whatever it is, then I want to push away automatically because it doesn't feel familiar. And let me also say that inside, deep inside of the brain, of that part of the brain is where we crave we crave something. So if we have an addiction, it is that tissue inside. And that's where that's the part of us that actually gets addicted. So when we go through the process of rehabilitation, if we're going through a process of recovery, character one, three, or four might be jumping through the hoops of the rehabilitation. But if character two is not on board, we'll probably not have a successful recovery. Mm. So anyway, so that's characters one and characters two. 
Character three then is right here, right now emotion. And the emotion of right here, right now, if I don't have the boundaries of where I begin and end and I'm as big as the universe, then oh my gosh, I'm alive and I do have this structure and I want to experience. I want to feel, I can feel and detect the level of humidity in the air. I feel the texture of my clothing on my skin. I can smell, I can see, I can see the, the dappling of the lights through the woods. I can, I can just be in the present. And I'm curious because, oh my gosh, I'm alive and I'm creative because I don't have the judgment of that left hemisphere saying, no, that's not right and wrong or good (laughs) and bad. It's like, no, whatever is, is. And the first step of the creative process, Graham, is, is chaos. So it's happy in the chaos. So it's also an adrenaline junkie, by the way. So do you know this part of yourself? Yeah, so this part of myself I call big eyes uh, because, when I I, <laughs> because when I was younger, I did a lot of commercials and it was all about being present in the moment and just what's fun, what's happening right now, let's get into it. And often directors would just say to me like, okay, Graham, go, big eyes. And they would just tell me to like hold up the toy and go, wow. <laughs> so when I get into that part of me, it's just like, <laughs> I'm just super excited about everything. And I just want to experience it. Exactly, exactly. Because we're alive and there's joy and there's there's this uh, camaraderie because there is no b- division. So there's no gender issues. There's no whatever age or judgment. There's just, there's just let's go do this together. Right. Okay. So that's character three. I call mine Pigpen because of the Schultz, the Peanuts cartoon. And the little character Pigpen is always walking around in a dust storm. And that's that. And he's present and he's joyful and he's just goes along with everything. And he's just always chaotic and he's always a mess. So I call my character three Pigpen. And then character four is the thinking tissue of that right brain. And the thinking tissue is completely 100% present and 100% good with whatever is as it is because I am in such gratitude that I exist at all, that I am this, this life force power of 50 trillion beautiful molecular geniuses that, oh my gosh, just the fact that I can see and I can hear and I have legs that allow me to move around and digits that allow me to manipulate the space around me. It's like just this incredible phenomenon of life. And that is the part of us that is like our portal to that infinite being that that higher consciousness cosmic consciousness cosmic love of the universe and it we are a part of it and it is a part of us and so we pray to find our way there we use meditation to try to find our way there we use various types of drugs in order to find that experience but it's a part of ourselves we're actually wired for that incredible deep inner peace and so when we get to know the these four characters, then the question is, do they like each other? Mm-hmm. Have you named your character four? Yes, I have. So my character four, I called him Cosmo because that <laughs> <laughs> cosmic. Of course said, you did. Cosmo. <laughs> I love that. Perfect. It's absolutely perfect because that's that's what it is. And it's like this portal through which we have this ability to really know ourselves as uh, a, a living entity in the universe. 
Amen. And this is what I found so fascinating about going through your book was that you included sections, reflection points, where you asked questions for people to get to know these characters, and do they talk with the other ones, and how do they speak to the other ones? And I sat there at my table, and I envisioned each of the characters at the table, and I almost imagined how they would talk to each other. Well, I did imagine. And I realized in that moment, oh, this one doesn't talk at all to this one, or this one, Mm -hmm. they don't have a good relationship. And it was so helpful for me. And I just want to thank you so much for your gift and what you're doing and what you're sharing with the world. Because such a simple insight, such a simple understanding really opened me up. And I went, oh, this relationship that was having this tension was like you said in the book, there was both character twos, both the emotional left brain was, was from both parties was, was butting heads. And it was, there was a standstill. It couldn't get out of that. And like you mentioned in the book, that one party has to step away from that because you can't resolve those conflicts when both parties are stuck in that emotional left part of the brain. And I, I was like, this is so powerful. So can you share with everyone how having that conversation and, and sitting down and, and appreciating each different character in your brain is so important to creating that harmony in your life? Absolutely. So first of all, thank you for taking the time to sit with yourself and have that conversation with yourself. That's that's the only way that you really can master this material and use it to really change your life. And once you identify those four characters in yourself, then every other person you meet has those four characters. And so then it becomes, okay, in this relationship, it might be your character one matching up with their character three or your character one matching up with their character one, or now Now you see their character two and you think, okay, I'll come in with my character one and nurture that person, but I'll really come in and love that person with my character four, because I really do want to go out and play with her character three later tonight. (laughs) So, so, you know, it's this balance act. So we each have these four characters and getting to know them inside of yourself, as you stated at the back of each of the chapters that introduces each of those characters is a a list of questions. Do you recognize this part of yourself? Where does this part of you tend to show up? Can you give this part of you a name? Who in your, your immediate circle really likes and gets along with this part of you? Who doesn't get along with this part of you? And what is the relationship inside of you with this character, like character one, with the other characters in your brain? Because if your character one doesn't respect your playful character three, then it's going to limit the amount of time that character three can actually come in. And then you feel bad about it in your character two, because you feel like, well, character one's unhappy because I'm wasting my time, but character three really wants to do this. And character four is just sitting over there going, y'all, you'll just figure it out. We're just lucky to be alive. You know, (laughs) I'll support whatever we do. No big deal. So we take ourselves so seriously, and this really allows us to listen to the conversations that are going on inside of our head, figuring out which part of us do we want more of that, do we want less of that, and which else might we want more of. So I call this the brain huddle, where we actually bring our minds into the present moment. 
And the best way to be in the present moment is to actually decide you want to be there and focus on your breath. Because breath, breath is just this ongoing constant that we don't tend to think about. But if we do bring our mind to our breath and we think about inhalation and exhalation, and I tend to take my right hand, which goes my left hand, which goes to my right brain because I want to get into the present. So I take my right fingers, I start at my forehead and I just gently go down my nose and I'm thinking about, okay, I feel it, I feel it, I feel it because that's right here right now. And then I get to my chest and I feel myself inhale and I feel myself exhale and it's like, okay, I'm here, I'm present. And so that's the acronym I use for the brain huddle is called brain huddle, B-R-A-I-N. Of course I do. So B (laughs) is for breath. The R is to, once I'm in the present moment, recognize which character am I currently being. Now, right now I'm being a character one because I've got everything all set up. I'm with you. We're talking about something. We're learning. We're teaching. We're sharing. So we're being character ones. But I also know that instant I'm in my character two because my character two is my instant anger to push away and say, no, I don't like that. And I feel that character in my body. I know when I'm feeling playful and it's time to go jump on my hydro bike or my paddleboard or to go jump in the lake or do whatever it is I want to do for fun. And I know when I'm in my four because I'm just big as the universe and, you know, it's just beautiful there. So recognizing which of the four characters am I in in this moment, but and then A is to appreciate the fact that I am being that one, but I have these four to pick from. So I always have the four to pick from. So even if I'm in my little unhappy self, I know instantaneously I can go jump into my character one and go back to work and get some of my to-do list done and let it just dissipate. Or I can go jump in the lake and instantly become my three or again, go into my four. So B is breath. Bring your mind to the present moment. R is to recognize which of the characters am I currently in. A, acknowledge and appreciate that I have all four of them available. I stands for inquire about which one is do I want to be what's the most appropriate next move for me to make? So let's say I walk into a room and we've all had this experience and there's a couple in there and they've been fighting, right? And you walk in and you just feel the tension in the air and they're, you know, they're just kind of trying to hide it. And it's like, (laughs) okay, what do you do in that moment? Right? So um, I can jump into my one and I can say, hi, uh, it's good to see you. Um, Everything. Okay. Is there anything I can do to help? Because that's what character ones do. Or character three can come in and say, uh, make a joke and make some, make a funny and try to lighten things up. Our character four can come in and say, whatever you need, if you need anything, just let me know. I'm here to support you in any way that I can. Or character two can jump in and say, I want to bitch and moan too. What's going on? You know, nah, 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 nah. I'm going to take sides and we're just going to like keep, keep on the fight. So those, that's the inquire. What is, what is my next strategy? And then N is for navigate because Okay, so character one might come in and say, okay, is there anything I can do to help? And then they might do something and then it might be, okay, well, now I'm going to jump into my character three or I'm going to get my character four and I'm going to leave and just let them know I've got their back or I'm going to jump in and, you know, get into it too. So we're constantly navigating moment by moment by moment. And how often do we have these conflicts going on inside of our heads where it's like, I should have said that or I should have done this and it's 
it's like, well, you don't have those moments anymore when you take actually take a brain huddle and you pause for that moment and you let them inquire with themselves about well, how do I want to to present myself in the next moment and then navigate my way away? So, so the brain huddle is this fabulous tool that we can use. And, and it's, it's right there inside of our head. Once we know who these four characters are. What I love about this concept of the brain huddle is it opened the possibility for me. Well, just the reality was that I thought that you know, if I was in my character one, my sort of go-go gadget Graham trying to control everything and separate from everything, that that was just mature. And then I couldn't play as much as the big eyes Graham, you know, it was like, oh, big eyes Graham needs to sit down because he's, he doesn't get stuff done. You know, he kind of hinders our, our progress. It was like when there's enough time, maybe, you know, big eyes Graham could come out and play and understanding the brain huddle, understanding the different four characters they're always there and having this this framework to inquire to ask what's going on with all these characters it set me free Jill and I'm so grateful to you because over the past few days here I have been integrating this and working on this and my energy has lifted and I feel so much more whole like you call it whole brain living because all of these aspects of me I have now appreciated and acknowledged and inquired about like, hey, what do you need right now? What's going on for you right now? And then being able to choose, because previously I would go with whatever part of my brain was ringing the bell the loudest, you know? So if it was my character too, I would just, oh, he's ringing the bell the loudest for my attention, so run to him. So this brain huddle allowed me to take a step back from those alarm bells and that ping-ponging from each character around and to consciously choose and to consciously inquire who needs attention right now? Who? How can we all work together? And who's the best one to show up in this scenario? Fascinating, fascinating, beautiful, wonderful approach to, to living. And so I, I just love it. So thank you so much for sharing that. I did want to ask you, you shared two stories in the book that, that I, I cried a few times while reading your book just because of how powerful it was for me and how grateful I am. But this these two stories specifically really touched my heart. And you shared with people how using this awareness, this framework of these characters in your brain during two people's last moments in their life and how you shifted your perspective and how you chose to see that and really create a whole different experience than someone who unconsciously might have just fallen into their character too. Yes. So uh, one of them was, was my mother. And my mother was just a fantastic human being. And she, when I experienced the stroke, I was 37 and she had just turned 70. And she dropped her world and she came to my world and she she crawls in bed with me because, you know, she realizes I'm an infant and that I was her baby. And what do you do with your baby when they're distressed? You, you rock them. And so um, the first time I saw my mother after the stroke, she crawls into my bed and she wraps me in her arms and she just started rocking me. And I did not know what a mother was, much less who my mother was, because that was left brain information. So my mother did a, a really magnificent job watching me and encouraging me and realizing what is the obstacle, the next obstacle for me to make my next 
uh, achievement. So uh, my relationship with her was just fantastic. And I always felt whenever I thought about my mother dying, my ear, my, you know, I'd move into my little character too. And it was like sadness and I would just start to cry. And I thought, well, if I ever want to be an actress, I could, I could turn on the tears like that by just thinking about the death of my mother. Devastating for me. So my grandmother on my mother's side lived to 98. I thought my mother would easily live to 105 because she, she had the genes. And at the age of 89, my father ended up dying in 2015, but he was 96. So ah, that was okay. You know, that was a good life. But later in 2015, on top of my father's death, my mother received a terminal cancer diagnosis. And of course, I was devastated. But Gigi, my mom said, you know, I don't know how much time I have, but I don't want it to be really sad. And I don't want people to pity me. And I don't want that. And I said, Okay, um, so that's okay. So we'll we'll enjoy it. We'll we'll celebrate the life that you have lived. I didn't realize it at the time, but we were consciously choosing. She was consciously choosing to be a character one, not a character two, about her own death, and I was choosing to be a character three to enjoy, and then eventually I would become a character one to take care of all the things that needed to be. So that was okay. You know, we did what she needed to do, and we ended up uh, in her passing. And my mother was an atheist, so she thought she came from dust and she would go back to dust. And because of my stroke, I thought that she would be pleasantly surprised. I thought that, that there was something else out there that would happen in those moments of her death. And so we ended up having a party. We invited 35 people over and all 35 came. It's interesting. We're having a, a box party to decorate the box that my mother's going to be cremated in. And so everybody came and they brought art supplies and they brought a whole lot of orange and things that they knew about Gigi when they'd attached to the box. And we created this magnificent box based on Gigi. And if you had a thousand boxes, decorated boxes, this is the one you would pick for Gigi because <laughs> it was her special number. She was a mathematician. It was uh, Cancun. She loved a vacation in Mexico. It was oh, a lot of orange and very bright and, and very creative. And, and Gigi's favorite song to get her out of her own character to funk uh, in relationship to my brother's diagnosis with schizophrenia was Stompin' at the Savoy by Benny Goodman. And so we have, I actually have video footage of my mother dancing around her coffin box that night to Stompin' at the Savoy. And it, we all chose to celebrate, truly celebrate this beautiful life. And so, um, uh, so then we had the box and then time went on and Gigi kept saying, you know, I'm dying. I'm dying. I've lived a great <laughs> life. I'm dying. And it was like, I don't feel like I'm dying, but I'm dying. <laughs> uh, and she, you know, she really turned it into this wonderful, oh my gosh, celebration of life. And so then on her deathbed, as she was dying, I, I was with her and, and I just kept my whole life. I thought, you know, when my mother dies, I'm just going to be devastated as my little character too. And I was with her and my, I, I, you know, I just hold my mom's hand. I've held my mom's hand my whole life and I was holding my mom's hand and it was, it was finally her last breath. And you wait because, you know, there's a long pause when someone is passing, if you've uh, had that experience. And then it was clear that yes, that was her last breath. And I just, 
I just felt this incredible love in my soul. And I just smiled and I held her hands in my hand and I said, Mama, I'm guessing you're pleasantly surprised. <laughs> and I felt that she was so integrated in my soul in such a lovely, open, accepting, positive sense of gratitude. It's the pain that separates us from being able to feel that connection of love. It's mm. the, the, the grief. Grief is magnificent and enveloping and important, but it was the sadness or the, it didn't, I didn't want that, you know, kind of thing. It's like you, we have the power to choose that, or we have the power to choose the love. And I'm so grateful that I had her for 56 years and it was, you know, what a blessing to my life. And now I feel her. I look in the mirror. I see her because we looked a lot alike. Um, as I'm aging, I'm looking more and more like her. So, you know, my heart is filled with this incredible love and that's the choice I want to make. Now, can I still think about my mother and her dying and cry? Yeah, I could probably, you know, still do that. But that's not what I choose now. But I, I now that's not to say, Graham, that I'm encouraging people to not feel their grief or to feel their deep, deep, deep pain. We are feeling creatures who think. We are feeling creatures who think, not thinking creatures who feel. So it's really important that we listen to the emotions of our little unhappy character two, and that we listen to the emotions of our celebrative character three, and that we allow that to be. But from the moment we think a thought that stimulates an emotion, that stimulates a physiological response, takes less than 90 seconds from the beginning to the end. So when we experience emotions, we can stay angry or we can stay sad or we can stay whatever for eons of time, or we can recognize this is a loop inside of my brain. This is a magnificent group of cells that gives me the ability to have this deep, deep experience, but it takes less than 90 seconds from the beginning until my blood is clear. So I encourage people to really pay attention to what circuitry are you running inside of you? How much time are you actually spending in each of those emotional circuits? And consider that you can step out and go work on your to-do list, or you can step out and go be with God, or you can step out and go be playful. We have other parts and my mental health is 100% dependent on my brain health and how I tend mm. to the, those cells. Jill, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I really appreciate that. And what a helpful insight it can be for people, especially in those really, really tough situations that a lot of people struggle with. You know, death is not something that in our culture, everybody is like, oh yeah, that's so easy. Very often it's, it is that choice of like the repression of those emotions or the complete falling into those emotions and you become trapped by them. And to understand yeah. that we have the power to choose is such, a, such an empowering insight and understanding to, to really help people navigate mm -hmm. the challenges of our life because we are going through some very challenging times right now with a lot of fear and uncertainty and unfortunately a lot of people have passed um so i know that people are experiencing a lot of these very intense emotions and if we can yeah. understand the parts of our brain what's functioning and how to have those brain huddles how we can then navigate our lives in a much more holistic way so i, I did want to ask yeah. you about that how does fear and uncertainty 
impact the brain. If we are, you know, the news is there's always something scary or some some right. some new thing that's trying to grab our attention. How does the brain huddle come in in that circumstance? How do we navigate a world that is constantly, you know, showing us more and more things that are to be afraid of? Right. You know, that's going to be a left brain indulgence. If I'm listening to the news and it's hard news and I'm listening to uh, the politics or the pandemic or, you know, global warming, oh my gosh, I mean, there's a million things to just totally freak out about. But at the same time, it those are all things that influence me, the individual. I move into my fear. I move into, you know, this is my team didn't win the election or, or my team did win win the election or um, the amount of guns in America, you know, and the shootings that are happening and I have the potential to die. Again, it's the focus on me, the I. So it's that the lack of recognition and awareness that we are both as big as the universe and we are the center of the universe. You know, it's like, it's like we're vast and open and we're, we're focused and detailed. But into the right hemisphere, you know, I'm so happy that I've had this life experience that I'm grateful for what I've had. It's not about what I'm not going to have or what I'm not going to get or about the pain that I'm going to feel in the event that I'm in that process of transition. The left brain is all about that. It's all about the me, the I'm going to, you know, I'm not safe. I'm, I'm going to be hurt. I'm, I, my relationships are going to be damaged. And I do want to add that, especially with the pandemic, because so many people have died. It was a really tough situation for our left brain because we could not be with our loved ones as they were passing. To the left brain, that's a horrible thing because I'm here and they're there. But when in the process of passing, we shift away from the left brain details of our lives and of the world, and we become in that right hemisphere, open and expansive and as big as the universe. So I can say from personal experience, there's no question in my mind that if you if you lost a loved one during the pandemic and you could not be with them, they were with you energetically mm. because they knew no boundaries. We were hooked into our, the boundaries of I'm here and I'm separate and you're there. But in their consciousness, they were there with you, caught in that love that you share. And uh, they were not alone. We do not die alone. It is anatomically impossible for us to die alone because we are our biggest, the universe connected to all that is. And the aloneness, though that circuitry shuts down as a natural progression of the, the process of dying when it comes to the brain. So no one died alone. Even if there wasn't someone holding their hand, they are dissipating away from the detail of me, the individual, and open to the expansive of that infinite love. And, you know, there's just a nothing like that infinite love. Mm -hmm. It's just the left brain has forgotten about it. So what do people do when they're struggling with being uh, stuck in that left brain because of the, the constant sort of reminder to be in fear, to be trapped inside that side? How do they break free from that? Is, just, is it just a brain huddle? Well, I think that it's, I do think that it's partially a brain huddle because then you have to look at yourself and say, okay, which part of my brain is hooking into that and how, and why are we giving them the microphone all the time? 
you know? Mm. I mean, we could be watching news 24-7 if we wanted to, but is that healthy for us? And it's like, well, you know, if I'm a newscaster, maybe, but if I'm a normal person who who is trying to figure out, especially as we're coming up out of the pandemic, what do I want my new normal to be? And what do I want to let some, some go of, at least in the U.S., simply because our politics have shifted profiles, we're not in the same, oh my God, chaos that we were constantly feeling before. We're not being stirred up every day. And now, you know, there's just, okay, how much time do I want to spend in the news? Mm -hmm. And taking some real responsibility for that. Character one wants to stay informed. Character one is busy. Character one is the to-do. It's our efficient, effective. It wants to keep up on the gadgets, Mr. Graham. It wants to, uh, but it, it needs to, to stay up about, you know, where were the earthquakes in the world? What what are the, the major threats that have happened? Up to a certain degree, that's healthy for us. And we know when we're just like too much in our worry, 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 oh my gosh, I live in the plains, I'm going to have tornadoes or, or, you know, this or that or the other or whatever. And there's always something to worry about. But it's like, how do we really then say, it's really important to me to be in my body and get physical exercise because I'm a biological creature and my body has to have physical activity in order to be healthy. How much is watching the news interfering with my quality of sleep? I'm a biological creature. I need to be able to sleep because that's when my brain flushes itself out from all the waste of those little cells in there that are working so hard and eating and creating waste and doing their jobs. Uh, what am I feeding it? You know, just there's so much to being alive and, and nobody's going to take care of me ultimately, but me. Mm-hmm. So I think then we we do have that huddle and we say, how happy are we? How healthy do we feel? Are we spending too much time in something? Some of us might be spending too much time in the adrenaline rush. You know, you might actually want to sit yourself down and actually remember that there's other people on the planet. <laughs> so, you know, it all depends on who's dominant inside of your head, but really have holding the, the brain huddle and having the, the community conversation about well, how healthy am I and how yeah. healthy do I want to be? And what am I willing to do in order to change that? And, you know, little tiny shifts make really big changes in the long run. So, you know, I, I think that that's a personal decision for each of us. Yep. And that's what I really enjoyed about the reflection uh, portion of the book where you get to answer those questions is I actually turned, you know, some of those questions then I just start journaling. And I'd start just writing down things and and exploring these these characters of my myself and my brain, and and going oh this is what's going on here or this is what I need to work on here or just bringing more awareness to how my character one would you know get so fixated on everything that's going on in the news and it would deprive the other uh, parts of my brain from the attention that they needed and it wasn't a brain huddle it was a, again that sort of the loudest voice was taking over. And then draining me because I wasn't taking care of my body properly or, or whatever the case may be. So yes, I think that's, it's such a, such a great insight. And like I said, framework to work from and to just take that break, take that breath and recognize what's going on right now. Who's, (laughs) who's, you know, grabbing the steering wheel and and controlling this. And is this the best character to be doing that? I think is a great question and a great pause to, to make. I, I, 
wanted to switch gears here just before we wrap up and, and ask you uh, one quick question because you're someone who studies the brain, studies the mind and, and how it all works. And I've been hearing a lot about artificial intelligence and putting computer chips in our brain. And I just don't believe that artificial intelligence is possible because I don't, I don't see how you could take that cosmic connectedness to love and put it inside a machine. What do you think? Well, I think they're already putting chips in us. Um, so, you know, we're already kind of bionic. Uh, people who are paralyzed, they can put a little electrode in the motor cortex of where the hand would be and then have mm -hmm. a person consciously move a cursor on, on a computer. Uh, they put little infrared detection uh, lights in the back of the visual cortex for uh, some people in the military so they have natural night vision. You know, the whole cochlear thing. I didn't thing. know that. I know, it's like totally cool. I know. It's like amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, there's the cochlear. They hook that in so that they can shift the, the way uh, auditory system works for people who uh, have developmental disorders or problems. So we're already doing that. Um, will they do more of that? Of course they are. It's part of what we are as human. But also, you know, we're not just human. We have the internet now. And so we have taken our brains and each one of us is like, like a computer that is a brain of the internet, which has become now the global consciousness of the planet. And uh, so that's fascinating. And so, you know, I think we're learning little bits and pieces about how, what will AI ultimately bring together? And I think that once somebody really models the, the human brain, as far as figuring out how to get two different parts, one that looks expansive and one that looks detailed and figure out how to get that to work. I mean, look at how well it's really not working so far in the biological creature. So, I mean, I mean, you think about mental health and brain health in our society and we're at the beginning. I mean, we think about ourselves as humans and we're at the top of the food chain, but we are far from high from evolved. And I truly believe, Graham, that what this I what this this four character concept of whole brain living will do is help evolve us as humanity. Because now we're working the kinks out between what we think and what we feel in each of those two hemispheres, what we think and what we think in those two different hemispheres, what we feel and what we feel in those two hemispheres, and ultimately have access to whole brain living. At that point, we will reach a higher level of evolution of humanity because we will behave completely different as soon as we wake up and allow that character four to influence every decision we make, we will behave completely differently. Thank you so much for, for sharing with us all these different insights and stuff. It's so cool and I love it so much. Uh, I ask all of my guests at the end of the podcast, my, my magic painting question. So I want to ask you that question now. And it, and it goes a little like this. If you were to have a painting on your wall that whenever you looked at it, you could feel any type of feeling you wanted to feel to any degree that you wanted to feel it, what feeling would you choose and what would your painting look like? Colors or would it be abstract or would it be a specific scene? Hmm. So uh, that's beautiful. Um, I think that for me, the scene would be two hands holding one another. And as, as the energy dissipates away, the hands dissipate away. And to me, that would be then uh, holding the hand of God mm. in either this form or in that one. 
And what would the feeling be that you would want to feel? The feeling would be uh, love, Mm -hmm. just pure love. Yeah. And and if someone has never felt that type of love that you're that you're you're talking about, how would you explain it to them? I would describe it as an incredible warmth in my chest, a perception of myself as filled with a glow of warmth that expands beyond the physical boundaries of where I am, leaving me as an energetic connection to the core of what I am as a body and just dissipating out, rippling out to the universe. That's probably where I go. That's so beautiful. Thank you. You are such a lovely and conscious human being. (laughs) Well, thank you, Jill. I just want to clone you and send you all around the world. Wow. I really appreciate you being on the show, Jill. This was a lot of fun for me, and I loved your book, and I'm so grateful to have you on the show and to be able to just dive into this with you because I got so much benefit out of it, and I've only, you know, it's only been digesting and percolating in my brain for a few for a few days now. So thank you so much. If anybody is interested in checking out Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor's new book, it's called Whole Brain Living, and I will include a link for it in the show notes, and you can probably find it on your website as well, I'm assuming. Yes, everywhere. Yeah, everywhere books are sold, so you can check it out there. And uh, is there anything else you wanted to share with people, any speaking events or something that's coming up that you wanted to share? You know, right now I'm just so excited because the book's uh, going out in the world and I firmly believe, you know, it's kind of become the wow tour because everybody, they get it and they go, wow, you know, because they're realizing, wow, this is my brain you're talking about and it helps me differentiate myself so I can live my best life. And then, so I'm just having a great time. So I just, I'm grateful. I, I thank you for today. And um, yeah, it, it share it because, you know, my four characters say thank you to your four characters, Graham. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much, Jill. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you everyone for listening. I'll see you all next time. Cheers. Well, that's it, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Let me know if you named your four characters in your brain as well as you were listening. If you want, just throw that in the comments below or or send me a message on social media. I'd love to read some of the names that you guys came up with because I had fun coming up with mine too. Also, if you want to dive deeper into Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor's new book, she's teaching a free online class today, May 11th, at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time or 8 p.m. Eastern. So that's in about an hour from now if you're listening to this live. So if you're interested, you can click the link below in the show notes and you can register to be a part of that. It's free. Otherwise, you can pick up a new copy of her book and learn more there. Also, a big thank you to Eskimotion for his music. I love you, brother. The song In Dreams was provided by Eskimotion for this podcast, and I love it because it sets the tone, gets us right into the zone that uh, really makes this show special. So thank you to Eskimotion for that. I also want to say a huge thank you to all of those who have contributed to my podcast and supported me in this journey, whether it be making fan pages or, or sharing the episode with friends. I feel so blessed to have you all here listening and enjoying the show with me. And I even received my first Bitcoin donation the other day, which was just awesome. So thank you. And even if you aren't able to financially support the show, I just appreciate you being here and and listening. So thank you. 
Also, I wanted to say thank you to all of those who have been voting for me in the Audience Choice Award. You guys have got me to the top three once again. So bless you all. Thank you for that. And if you're interested in following me more on some of my other social media platforms and such, I got a Cameo Club and a, and a Very Inspired People Club. That's what I call the VIPs on Cameo. If you go to my Cameo page, which is in the links below there, you can join the club and you can be a part of that group. And for the VIPs, I send out, I kind of give them updates and, and include them in my creative journey. So, you know, my new merch merchandise line, I'm, I'm designing things. I'm sending them designs just to kind of say, hey, what do you guys think about this? What do you like? What do you don't like? So if you want to be a part of that and see some of my new writings from my new book and sneak peeks of, of projects before they actually come out to everybody else, you can join the Cameo VIP group and spread that positivity, spread that inspiration and be a part of the, the fun times there. You can join me on Cameo. And for those of you who want a little bit more information about some of the things that I'm reading and checking into and researching in terms of what's going on in the world, you can head on over to my Telegram page and join me on my Telegram page because I post things there that if I post it on Instagram, I might get locked out of my account. <laughs> and I think it was a couple of weeks ago, maybe I got locked out of my account <laughs> and I just posted some pictures. <laughs> it wasn't anything too crazy. And they locked me out. They said, we think your account has been hacked. So for security reasons, we, uh, we locked you out. Anyways, I know it wasn't hacked because I have two-factor authentication on all my social media and most of my online accounts, which is a added layer of security where you have to enter in a special code after your password. So I'm almost positive I wasn't hacked. More likely it was Instagram saying, hey, cut it out with that stuff. <laughs> it's the, the passive aggressive way to, uh, to try and get me to be quiet. So anyways, on Telegram, I post everything, not everything. I post the things that I think are worth just sort of checking out, researching for yourself. I don't always know 100% if, that, if the content I post is 100% true. That's why I say you got to research it yourself. You got to look into it. As Morpheus says, I can only show you the door. You got to open it. <laughs> so that's my Telegram page. And if you're in the U.S. or Canada, I got this new thing where you can send me a text. 250-999-4163. It's this app where you send me a text and then I can uh, shoot you updates. So if you're like, hey man, anytime you got something about Bitcoin you want to share, or if you're going live on Instagram, or if you got a new podcast, I want to, I want you to send me a text. Some people don't want that. Some people do. So if you want a text update for what's going on for me when I'm doing these things, just shoot me a text to 250-999-4163 and then you'll be included in my list and then I'll add you to whatever group you want to be kept up to date on. Thank you for your support. Blessings to you guys. I got another great podcast episode coming out with my friend Engel. He is a pranayama teacher, which is about breath work. I love it. Done a few of his three-hour breath work sessions and they're awesome. So he has a great story to share with you all and uh, some great insights about breath work and it was a great conversation. So that'll be next. I love you guys. Much love, strength, courage, peace, and a warrior spirit. Because that's the, what I feel in myself I need to cultivate is this spiritual warrior where I have that courage to speak truth, to stand up, and to be just fully present and there with people. I had an encounter with a woman at the grocery store today. She came out of the grocery store and she was really upset. She was crying and she just said to me, I've had it. I can't wear this mask anymore. I can't breathe in this thing. I feel like I'm suffocating. I can't wear this. I'm done. She was just, 
it was, it was, it was rough. And I just, I want to wish everybody that strength and that courage to be able to stand up and, and say, I've had enough. I'm done. It's time to stand up. I love y'all. See you next time. Cheers.